Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of To The Point Podcast. Everybody's doing well on this Tuesday. We are back for another edition of To The Point. I am Noah Warren. I hope everybody's doing so well today. Lots, lots of different stories to get into today. Um, golf has continued to, to be at the forefront of the sports news. With the U.S. Open coming up, we got the Live Tour. And listening to some press conferences today, reading some of them, and really taking in some information... I have a theory as to why the live tour is actually going to be a positive thing for the PGA tour, which might sound counterintuitive, but I'm kind of a counterintuitive person. So maybe that makes sense, but that's something we're going to chat about today. Also NBA finals, interesting game last night between the Warriors and Celtics didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. Celtics did not cover the number. Celtics did not win the game. Celtics did not win by the money line. So that was a loser on the bet scale last night. Also, the the, NA, uh, the Stanley Cup Finals a, a day away. Puck drops tomorrow night. And we'll talk about that today a little bit. Seamus is going to join, as he always does on the Tuesday. And today we're going to do something a little different. I was brainstorming things last night. I'm like, what's an interesting topic? Something that isn't being talked about on every show. And my thought was what's for the seven Canadian teams, what's the biggest wish list item that they should have going into this off season? Meaning what does, if you could pick one thing, one word of this team that they must improve on this off season in order to get better. What is it? Is it a coach? What player? It could be player development. Me and Seamus are going to go through this. And we'll kind of give our thought. We'll talk about Ottawa, Montreal, Toronto. You go through Canada. We're going to go through every team and say, what does this team have to figure out this offseason? Could be big picture. Could be add to your defense score. We saw some good Canadian teams this year that are still in contention, could still be in the Stanley Cup window. So what do they have to do to you know, get to that next level, get to the Colorado, get to the Tampa level? Or for the Ottawa's, for the Montreal's teams that missed the playoffs, what needs to happen in order for this team to take a step where they are not on the outside looking in or they're not picking in the lottery every year and looking at mediocrity, you know, straight in the face. So that's what me and Seamus are going to talk about. I'm looking forward to that conversation. That should be a lot of fun. If you listened to the show yesterday, I opened talking about my hair because why not? And I asked for help from the listeners. I, I don't want to cut my hair. I don't know why I'm kind of enjoying the longer hair, but as you can see, it's been raining and the weather has taken, you know, it's hurt my hair. I think it's very askew right now. It's difficult to maintain. It's all over the place. But if you have any suggestions as to what I can do, and cutting it is not an option because I don't want to do that for multiple reasons. But any advice that you can share with me when it comes to my hair, again, I, that's a selfish ask. Tweet, uh, write in your comments. Write in if you want to hear any uh, different storylines, study different topics. But my hair is pertinent because it's my best feature, and at least I think. So, any advice for the hair? Would I'd love to hear it because I I, I need something. This isn't working, and there need, something needs to be done. And I need all of you to help me if you can. If you can, I'm not saying you must, but if you're a loyal listener, you know of a good brush, you know of a good product, anything, 
I will try it because I'm cheap, but I will spend money on my hair because I love my hair. That's enough about me, but I appreciate any help that anybody can offer me because I'll take it, I'll absorb it, and we'll see what we can do so that on more rainy days, because it looks like we're going to get a few coming up here, my hair doesn't look like this. So you can see, it's it's not great. It has it has its issues. I combed it, and it's still not still not fantastic, as you can see outside, going to Costco, buying stuff, and didn't didn't help the hair today. But fun show today, and let's get into the NBA Finals. Because, as you all know, if you listened to the show yesterday, I picked the Warriors. I sorry, I picked the the Celtics to win Game Five. The Celtics are a better team, in my opinion. The Celtics have the Golden State Warriors have the best player in the series, Steph Curry. But after Steph Curry, you look at the Boston Celtics. I would take Tatum over any Warrior. I would take Brown before any other Warrior, and I. I would take Marcus Smart before any other Warrior. And push comes to shove, a healthy Robert Williams. I might take Robert Williams over any other Warrior as well. But we go into last night, and it was a strange game where it was a a flip from what we've seen early in the series where Golden State had a great first half. Defensively, they were locked in. But other than Jason Tatum, nobody had it going for the Celtics. They had open shots. They couldn't get them. They ran people off the three-point line. They defended the paint extremely well. And it was they only allowed 39 points in the first half. And Golden State could have had a huge lead, but they couldn't shoot a three to save their life. And the crazy turn of events was Steph Curry went an entire game without hitting a three-pointer. Golden State, for the entire game, shot 22% as a team. So as I go into half... Yes, the Celtics are stuck 12, but I feel relatively good because they couldn't have played worse offensive basketball. Golden State can't hit a shot, and everybody but Steph Curry is making buckets. Meaning, if Steph Curry's having an off night, the reserves for the Warriors are not as good as the Celtics. They're not going to be able to keep up. But boy, was I wrong. Because the third quarter, Jason Tatum got it going. He was on fire. He couldn't miss a three-point shot. He looked confident after his first half and really the first four and a half games of this series where he's too damn tentative. He's not confident enough. To me, he doesn't want to embrace being a superstar, and I have a big problem with that. But he finally came to play. He finally brought it, and it looked like he was going to lead the Celtics to a big victory. And the two big things, two biggest reasons why the Warriors won last night and the Celtics threw away a bad Steph Curry performance in a pivotal game five, turnovers and bench scoring. The Boston Celtics turned the ball over 18 times last night. 18 times. Golden State turned it over six times. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown threw the game away. And maybe 
You could argue the Boston Celtics management through this game away, and I'll get to that theory, or not even a theory. I think it's truth in, in a second. But the Celtics are led by Tatum and Brown. Two forwards, but two forwards that are primary scorers. Jason Tatum is a good passer, but that's not his primary skill. Shooting the three, being aggressive on offense is his biggest skill. These guys are not LeBron James, who is a forward, but his he was a better passer than he ever was a scorer, although he's going to finish first all-time in scoring. So go figure there. He's a great player. But it wasn't – these guys are scorers. Facilitating is secondary. And the Celtics – the Celtics' point guard, if you will, is Marcus Smart. And Marcus Smart is not a true point guard. He is a worse ball handler than Tatum and Brown, and these guys aren't great either. Going into this series, I thought it was Jalen Brown's handle that was going to kill the, the, the Celtics if they lost this series. I didn't think it was going to be Jason Tatum. Because every game in this series where I thought, well, Tatum will succeed at this level of the game, or he's going to come out and play well. Something happens where it doesn't go well. He's finally having a great offensive game because every game so far has not been, has not been meaningful. hasn't been memorable. It's just been, well, Jason Tatum had 22. Great. He had four rebounds. It's just not enough for the best player on a championship team. That's been my thought so far this year. He's averaging 23 points a game in this finals. That's not, that's not that great. But last night he's making shots. He's getting the team fired up. The Golden State crowd is worried. And then in the fourth quarter, it was turnover after turnover. And to make matters worse, the second biggest reason why they lost this game is Golden State had 31 points from their bench. Gary Payton Jr., the third, had a night. He's a great defender. I didn't expect him to be all over the floor last night, defending relatively well and also scoring. He dropped 15. Jordan Poole drops 14. That's the biggest right there. That's 29 points. Two guys off the bench made up for Steph Curry having a brutal game. Couldn't shoot. Didn't make a three-pointer. But Golden State's bench came to play. The Celtics bench had four points. Cornette had four late in the game. I don't count that. That was in garbage time. This was Derek White had one point, who's been massive. Grant Williams was a non-factor. The bench for Boston brought nothing, and they're also getting torched when they're on the floor. So it was a complete turn of events where, and not just to add to this, Celtics had 18 turnovers. Golden State had... 22 points off turnovers. They also had 50 points in the paint. They couldn't make threes, but another, you have to give a credit to Steve Kerr and credit to the Warriors. They couldn't shoot a three last night. They couldn't hit the backside of a barn door, but they realized it and they started going to the paint. And I credit a team for not just jacking up three after three after three, because that's the new NBA. It's, well, we got to shoot the three. It's three is more than two. Well, three is not more than two when every shot you don't make. But what Golden State did do is say, you know what? Gary Payton's not a great three-point shooter, but he can get to the paint. He can cut, and they're having a hard time getting him on, on the back doors. Poole shot threes, but he made his mid-range shots. They got the ball onto Draymond. 
they work the paint to their advantage. And I've gone 12 minutes into this podcast talking about why Boston lost and why Tatum was terrible and Brown was so disappointing without even mentioning, which is a huge, you know, no, no on me, but also just how, how stupid the Celtics were last night. I didn't even mention Andrew Wiggins. Air Canada, a.k.a. Andrew Wiggins, the Canadian former basketball player at Kansas, number one overall pick, traded the Minnesota Timberwolves, had a stay there where Andrew Wiggins was basically traded to Golden State, and Golden State was the only team that would take him. He had a big contract. He didn't play any defense. He was not regarded as a team player. He had a low motor. And even people in Canada hated Andrew Wiggins. He wouldn't play for FIBA, trying to qualify for the Olympics. He was criticized. He was booed. He was never loved. He was never, they never loved him in Canada. He was never wrapped around and he hasn't been a great player at any stop he's had. But through this Golden State process where they tank, they lose in the playing game last year, Andrew Wiggins has gotten progressively better. He started to become an above average defender. He's improved his three point shot. He works the mid range and while Golden State's working through issues and Draymond Green has struggled throughout these playoffs, Klay Thompson is not what he used to be. You're having hit and miss performances from Jordan Poole and Kevon Looney. Andrew Wiggins has been so consistent. He's grabbing rebounds every night. He's scoring big buckets. And he scored 26 points last night. He was the biggest reason why he was another most offensively is the biggest reason why they won because he just made big shots. He controlled the offense. He played good defense. He caused turnovers and he's just more, it was the Andrew Wiggins game. And to think that there's this thought where there was an Andrew Wiggins game, but it hasn't just been where he shows up for one game. Cause he's been fantastic in this series. He's been the second best warrior throughout this entire series. Other than Steph Curry, it's been Andrew Wiggins. And to me, there's nobody even close to the two of them. He played fantastic in game four. He played better last night. He continues to bring it on a nightly basis. Consistent effort, consistent play, and he's just a gamer. He will guard your best player and still score mid-20s points. And then in the, in the NBA, if you're guarding the best player, the job is not to keep that player to 10 points because that's just not realistic. What, what the Celtics did to Curry last night was not because Marcus Smart was defending him extremely well. It's because they bum-rushed him. It's because they bull-rushed him, and he couldn't get the ball out of his hands. He had no time. He had to make plays he wouldn't normally make, and he had to rely on his teammates. wasn't a great Steph game. He finished with eight assists. Missed some open shots, but the Celtics did a good job basically saying, we're going to let anybody else beat us. It's not going to be Steph. However, their team accomplished that, but their players couldn't do it. In the biggest moments, Andrew Wiggins was more clutch than Jason Tatum. In the biggest moments, Andrew Wiggins is more clutch than Jalen Brown. And kudos to Wiggins for having a tough start to his career. 
getting traded as a first overall pick from Cleveland to Minnesota because LeBron James didn't want him. And then accepting the deal to Golden State and buying into Steve Kerr. Buying into playing this system, starting off off the bench, then getting eventually growing to the starting lineup. He could have taken it the wrong way and he could be out of the league. Or he could have got bought out and be in a very different situation. Now he's a game away from being an NBA champion. And he could, if he has another great game six, because he was great in game four, like Steph Curry was, but he was also great in game five. Steph Curry was not. If he has another huge game and the Golden State Warriors finish off this series on the road, you can make an argument that Andrew Wiggins should be the finals MVP. That Andrew Wiggins has been the best player in this series. And although I find that highly unlikely, because I think the media is, they want to give it to Steph so bad. And I understand that. You could you could look at it and say he should have won the award in 2015. Not Andre Iguodala. I'm fine with that. But just anointing him a finals MVP this year, where he was no good last night, and Wiggins has been more consistent, you have to look into that. It should go to the best player, not the best argument. And too often it does. The best story. But Wiggins took that game over last night. He set the tone. He never panicked. Curry was not getting a bucket. They were not going to let him do it. If he had the ball, they were rushing two to him. And Wiggins would have the ball, but he never panicked. And I think that led to calmness from a Jordan Poole, who had a good stroke last night to Gary Payton, who played extremely hard, who's just, he's another journeyman. He's like a Wiggins. He's been on uh, eight different teams, G League and in, and in the NBA. He's 29 years old. He's battled around the league. His dad is a much better player than he was, Gary, obviously Gary Payton the first. But he's fought to get where he's at, to be relevant, to earn minutes off the bench on a Golden State team and now I'm curious to see how the Celtics respond because that was a demoralizing game last night where you should have won it. And the only people to blame are your best players because they turned the ball over. They couldn't hit big shots. Sure. Yes. The role players could have rebounded better. Yada, yada, yada. But Steph Curry, the best player on the Warriors, was horrible by his standards last night. And you lost the game where you had to put guys in in garbage time. It was a 10-point game. It wasn't that close. You go into the fourth fourth quarter, you're down one point, and you couldn't make it a tighter game. But Boston's been in this situation. The second round against Milwaukee, they were down 3-2. They had to go to Milwaukee in a game six and win it, and they did. They have to do the same thing right now to force a game seven at home Sunday night to crown a champion. This is going to test the resolve. This is going to test the, the nature, the, the confidence of the Boston Celtics. Is Jason Tatum a superstar? Is he going to be the next one? Is he the is Jason Tatum a superstar or is he Devin Booker? Where you get to a final and you shrink. Because I thought Devin Booker did that last year. In the biggest moments, he wasn't a great player. Great, great bucket getter in the regular season, scored 60, all that. Can he do it? He's only 24, but we know sports. It's not a guarantee you get back to the NBA finals. It's not a guarantee you get back to conference finals 
whatever you want to say in any sport. Milwaukee Bucks are going to be back next year. Chris Middleton was out in that second round series. I believe if Chris Middleton plays, the, the Bucks win that series. They're in the NBA Finals again this year, and I would have taken them to beat Golden State because they got Giannis, the best player in the world. So are you going to get by? Are you sure that you're going to get by Milwaukee again? I'm not. The Heat, who they just beat in seven games in a tight series, I believe are going to be active this offseason. Bradley Beal in Washington, maybe he goes back to Washington, but I think the Heat with Pat Riley are going to be extremely aggressive because they know they have a core of a team that can win right now. You're a few pieces away from winning. You got Jimmy Butler. You still Kyle Lowry's under contract. You got Duncan Robinson, Heroes contracts that you can try to move to get assets. So the Heat are still there. There's, I look at the Raptors even, I don't expect to be a great team next year, but could they make a splash move like they did by trading for Kawhi? Is there something out there that they could do? They got Scotty Barnes. They got Ananobi. They got Siakam. They got players that you could trade to get a great superstar level player. They are in that position again, like they were when they traded for Kawhi Leonard. So I believe they'll be active. There's no guarantee you're getting back. But for Tatum, I talked about last night being the most important game, and it's the same narrative. I get it. it, it it's repetitive. But you're the best player on the Celtics. You've gotten them to the finals. And it's always frustrating to me when you don't win when you have the best team. Yes, Golden State has the best player. But last night's game, the best player in the series was a relative non-factor. And, they, and you lost the game. In basketball, the best player doesn't always win. Giannis is a better player than anybody on the Boston Celtics, but he couldn't beat the Celtics because he was by himself. He didn't have enough help. The Celtics as a team were better. They played better defense. They got by Milwaukee. There's a change. In the past, those last couple Jordan titles, I don't think the Bulls were the better. I think Utah was a better team than the, than the Bulls. Scottie Pippen, he had a bad back. Dennis Rodman was old after winning championships. Jordan had played a ton of basketball. That was an old basketball team. But they had the best player, and the game was different. Now, if you had a better team, you can defeat the best player. Look at all the great players that aren't still playing. LeBron is out. Kevin Durant was swept in the first round. LeBron didn't make the playoffs. Luka Doncic is not in the finals. Some of the best players in the NBA are not currently playing because they're on. They're a great player, but not on great teams. There's a shift going on, and maybe that shift will be stunted if the Warriors win the season. If the Warriors can win, win one of the next two games, because they do have Game 7 at home, but if I'm the Warriors, I do my damnedest to win Game 6 on the road because I the Celtics, like I said, are just a better team. And I'm not so sure you're going to get a great effort again from Gary Payton Jr. the second in this series. But, but if the Warriors find a way to win this series, the inferior team with the best player will that would have won the championship, which is a you know a shout out to old, where the Jordans, the the Larry Birds. The Celtics would be a lot like the bad boy Pistons. 
because the Pistons were not a skilled team, but they were they were a great team. Just a, a great bunch of guys playing basketball. But I thought I had money on the Celtics winning the, the championship after round one. I was so confident they were going to win the game last night. In particular, in the third quarter where Boston started to heat it up and Golden State, who normally have a great third quarter, were lackluster. They were asleep at the wheel to start the third quarter. But you turn the ball over that much, you give opportunities to this team, you're going to get burned. Ime Odoka is a good coach. He's going to have this team ready to play in game six. But this Golden State team has been a lot of big you know, clutch finals games where Tatum has, hasn't looked his full version in this series. And why he would play out of his mind in game six, I don't know. But the Garden's going to be loud. That's a guarantee. It's the last game in Boston this year, no matter what. Even if it goes seven, it's back in goal. It's back in the Bay Area. This Celtics team knows the opportunity that they have in front of them. They can make moves in the offseason too. They can see what they can do to help Brown and Tatum. You can go and try to acquire a point guard, a true guy that can run your offense, that can be the facilitator, the guy that bring the ball up the floor because they don't have that right now. But that's not an easy guy to find either. The true point guards in this league are, are falling away. Or if a team has one, you're not looking to part with it. Portland's not giving Dame Lillard to the Boston Celtics unless you're getting a huge haul back. He's a true point, but even he's a great shooter, but he's a guy that can bring the ball out the floor and, just, and you know run the offense. If you're getting a point guard that isn't exactly all-worldly, I think of you know, Eric Bledsoe's back in the day or Norris Cole on LeBron's Heat. But they also are Mario Chalmers, but they also had LeBron sitting there on the team who was the de facto point guard when they needed him most. But despite all of those flaws, the Celtics are still two wins away from raising the Larry O'Brien trophy. And win or lose, this will be a successful season for this team because they almost tore it down in January where they were a pathetic team. They were so, they look like they're going to miss the playoffs. It was a disaster for Boston. They turn it around. They get to an NBA finals with first year head coach, M.A. Odoka. If they don't win, it'll still be a positive season, but it'll, it'll rub people the wrong way. Cause you were so close and you're the better team. You're the better team. You didn't have to play Phoenix in the final, who are the best team in the regular season. You ran into a Golden State team that, yes, they still have Steph Curry. They got Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, but they're a different Splash Brother team than what we're used to. They're a different bunch of guys than 2016, 17 with Kevin. There's no Kevin Durant on this team. It was a fun game last night. But I also worry for the Celtics because Steph Curry had such a poor game that I know he's going to be motivated. I know he's going to be a killer come Thursday night to close this out because he can have a game, a statement game, that there's a no-brainer that he's the NBA Finals MVP. He can have one of those games where he's just making shots. He finishes with 40-plus points. 
and they'll they'll give him the award after the game. He can do that. He can earn that NBA Finals trophy because to me, there's now a debate. I don't know who would win it in Boston, but the fun thing is you'd say, well, Steph Curry might even win the Finals MVP in a loss. Well, no, I don't look at it that way because if Boston is going to win this series, if they're going to win game six and game seven, somebody is going to step up and earn that award themselves. Somebody's going to have a game where you go, wow, you know, Jalen Brown scored 45 tonight. There's in a game six, a must win at home. He was fantastic. And he plays a great game seven. He'll win the award. If Jason Tatum plays great in game six, drops 35 and then drops 30 and 10 in a game seven, he's winning the award. So every, in the NBA, it's different because in the NHL, there's the Conn Smythe trophy. It's about your body of work in the playoffs. So that's what it's supposed to be unless you just like the narrative better that it should go to somebody that hasn't won one yet. But in the finals, it's about your your totality, what, what you've done. You have between four to seven games to earn the finals MVP, to earn that award. And... I find it hard-pressed who would win it on Boston right now. I threw a little uh, mine, a little bit of money on Robert Williams as a long shot. I'm not out of it yet because Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus, name me a Celtic. They haven't played great. They haven't. These Celtics fans you know, in the media, Bill Simmons and uh, – Ryan Russillo and all these guys from the ringer, they got a better chance of winning. They got this got an outside chance of winning finals MVP for propping this team up. And I mean that with all sincerity, because I'm a big fan of the ringer. But it it's completely wide open. The finals MVP, like the MVP, it, it's it's ridiculous to make an argument about who's who's the who's the front runner for MVP in in um November of a season because so much is going to change. College football after four weeks, it goes, well, who's the Heisman front runner? <sighs> we still have eight games left. Can we not watch at least half of them before we start these conversations? For Golden, for this series, if Golden State wins, I don't think it's a lock. Curry wins it. I'd be shocked if he didn't because the media loves him. But if Andrew Wiggins has a huge game six, he should very much be in the conversation. No doubt about it. For Boston, no clue. But they got to win two games. Somebody will step up and earn that award if they find a way to crawl their way back to the Larry O'Brien. It's that simple. But the Celtics are not going to win any games if they continue to turn the ball over the way they have been. They're also not going to win any games if they, if, they just tur- if they allow Golden State to dominate them in the paint which is not something Golden State is fantastic at. 50 pain points last night for the the Golden State Warriors. Crazy. Crazy. But when when Sheamus joins, we're going to talk about this a little bit as well. He's a huge Celtic fan. I know it's got to be hurting him today because I think he was confident like me that the Celtics were going to win last night. I didn't text him during the game because I didn't want to. He gets emotional about this stuff. And I like to be there for my friend. I like, I do like to, I like to pretend that I'm there for my friends and family, you know, when they're emotional and I like to, I like to be there and, you know, 
be present is, is a word that I would use, but from afar, you know, just I'm there for It's like uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, there's this great episode of, of Seinfeld where Jerry and Elaine are friends with this couple and the couple are kind of on the rocks are thinking about getting a divorce and they have this great idea that they're, they're not going to try to, you know, snake them right away. They're just there for you wherever you need me to be. Now, that's kind of like me with, with friendship when they come, when they want to get emotional with me. I'm not, I'm not right there. I'm not cradling the arm. I'm not, you know, dr- you know, helping you up, so to speak, but I'm there from afar. I'm present. I'm over in the corner, you know, sipping a, sipping a whiskey, but I'm there for you because I'm, I'm present. Unlike that other friend that couldn't make it, I'm here and I'm present for you and I feel for you. So we're going to, you as the audience and me, the host here, we're going to be present. We're going to be there for Seamus when he comes on the show in a little bit, when we would talk about the Celtics, because I do feel for him. But then again, I don't. And this is the great thing about not being a fan of a team is you can just enjoy it. I I used to be a fan of teams. I haven't been... I stopped being a fan of teams right after grade 12. I dropped all allegiances. I really have none. I don't miss being a fan one bit. I enjoy watching from what I view as just no biases. No, there's no part, there's no love into it other than my love for the sport, but I don't get upset. I don't get worried. I, I don't have any big emotions. I watch my family watch games and people I care about. And it's like, you're pulling teeth. It's anarchy. It's complete misery where I don't miss that at all. I watched the game last night. Okay. Golden state won. Okay. Yeah. I bet on the Celtics. I can live with that. I'm not broke, I'm not rich, but I'm not broke. So I'm still doing okay. So that, that's, but I, I credit the people that are fans, but I think my heart and I think my blood pressure is going to be better in the long run. Maybe we'll see. If yours isn't, I'll be there for you. I will be there for you. I promise you that, that I will be there for you. I will be present and be there for you. <laughs> what a great bit. Great show. If you haven't watched Seinfeld, I'm like, I'm not going to give a PSA to watch Seinfeld in 2022. The show's been out for 30, 40 years. But you haven't watched it yet? Come on. Come on. What are you doing? Stop watching Grey's Anatomy season 22 and watch Seinfeld. Come on. Now, before Seamus comes on, let's talk some golf again. Because, boy, this has been great. The PGA Tour. The gift that keeps on giving. Because today, multiple top players met with the media. John Rahm, Phil Mickelson, who said very little. Justin Thomas, and Rory McIlroy, who made the biggest headlines and was so great on the mic. And Rory McIlroy, who's been very much pro PGA Tour, against Greg Norman in the Live Tour, said he loves legacy, history, 
and has been the biggest advocate for the PGA Tour since all of this started, had a lot to say today. And the biggest one being when he said that players that joined the Live Tour took the easy way out. Ouch. Interesting interesting uh, thought there. He also went on to add that what, what we did, the PGA Tour players, in Canada last week was real. It meant something. It had stakes. What they did over in London on the live, it meant nothing. That'll never mean anything. This is so great. Number one, I love Rory McIlroy. Not because he's defending the PGA Tour. Because I, I'm, not, I'm not blind to the fact that the PGA Tour has a lot of warts. They have a lot of problems. I think they should have been giving players money for, for a long time now. I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying a guaranteed money. I think that should have been happening a long time ago. It hasn't. So I'm not sticking up for the PGA Tour. They've done some bad stuff. Okay, guys leave. I'm fine with that. However, what I am a fan of is content. And what I, this is all I root for. I don't root for teams. I root for content. What I am a fan of is Rory McIlroy, who has been good on the mic in the past. He's extremely good. He's thoughtful. He gives good answers. But Rory McIlroy giving me content and giving us great quotes and telling us what he really thinks. Because if there's any media person, there's any fan of the sport of golf that hates Rory McIlroy today for speaking his mind, stop watching the sport and stop watching sports because you're the reason that we get nothing. You're the reason we get Sidney Crosby bland, nothing answers. Rory McIlroy is speaking from the heart. He's being honest and I appreciate it because there are too many athletes who give you nothing, nothing. Rory McIlroy is basically telling DJ, Phil, Charles Schwartzel, anybody in your mother, fuck the live and fuck you for going over there. I love that because that's, it's just, I do, I admire that because that's something I do and occasionally it gets me into trouble. But he's telling us his real emotions, his real thoughts. He's not, well, you know, we're happy to play the game tonight and uh, we feel good. At- no. He's giving you genuine, honest reactions. And I love that. Could you say he's a puppet of the PGA Tour? Okay. The live people and people saying, well, you take the money. Rory Macro was offered the money to go play in the live tour. And if the live didn't offer him any money, number one, they, they did because they just did. But... He, he said no to big money. So he can literally say, I didn't take the money. They offered it to me. It's not about money for me. It's about legacy. It's about playing against the best players. So the money line, the you're a hypocrite line, oh, you go for this amount of money. He said no. So that line doesn't work in this. He's completely doing it on his own. And then John Romchild chimes in. Another good guy in the mic. I've never really played the game of golf for monetary reasons. The live tour is, is selfish and taking away from the PGA tour. Interesting. And then even Brooks Kepka. Brooks Kepka says the live tour has painted a dark cloud over the U S open. 
There's nobody to blame for this but them. Now, did the Live Tour players do anything wrong? You'd say no. They're taking, you know, the, the, the Saudi Arabia is the, the, the bad person here. Greg Norman, I don't have any faithful, I don't have any feelings for him. I don't think he's a, I don't think he's good for golf. I think he's, I, I think he's upset from the PGA Tour that he wasn't put in a higher position. Wham, wham for you. You get to go on the live and you were never that relevant on the PGA Tour. You weren't a great player. Roy McIlroy has 21 wins now in the PGA Tour. You have 20. How do you like that? But why the Live Tour could be a good thing for the PGA Tour, but in the big picture, a good thing for golf is that it creates headlines, it creates drama, and it creates intrigue. Golf is exciting right now. They're talking about it in the, in the States. Dan Patrick Show, The Herd with Colin Coward. I listen to these every day. The Live Tour has been a topic of discussion for the past week. They've never talked about golf. Golf is never brought up, but now golf is a mainstream topic. People are discussing the Live Tour. They're discussing rivalries. They're talking about Rory going after Phil. What could this mean going forward? There's intrigue in the sport. The Canadian Open, I read this afternoon, had its best ratings in 22 years. 2.28 million people on average were watching the final round on Sunday. This is the States. This isn't just in Canada on TSN. This is the Golf Channel. This is on CBS. It did great ratings. Golf is winning right now. The Live Tour, I could care less about. I'm not going to watch the Live Tour. It's in teams. I hate the format. It's gimmicky. It sucks. The Live Tour is like the USFL or the XFL, where it, it doesn't have any appeal. There's no great person that you want to watch. Herschel Walker wasn't a great player when he was playing in the USFL. He was beat up and he wasn't what he used to be, like he was in college. There was nothing that made you want to draw to watch the USFL. I don't want to go to tune in to watch DJ. I could give it, I could care less about Dustin Johnson. Okay, Phil. But what I do like is that there's intrigue in the sport right now. There's some hatred. There's rivalries brewing. I believe Phil Mickelson and Rory McElroy used to have a pretty good relationship. I don't think they're going to have a great relationship. Phil Mickelson, who is normally very talkative, normally has a lot to say, normally has a lot of opinions, didn't have an opinion today. Basically said nothing. He didn't have the balls that Rory McIlroy did to just say what he needed to say. Phil Mickelson couldn't just say, hey, I'm, I'm doing it for the money. I'm 51 years old. I've lost some money gambling, as you all know. Thanks, Alan Shipnuck. And you know what? I'd like to get a payday. I'd like to get a, you know, a couple greenbacks in my jeans, play a couple of years here on the live, maybe come back, play in the champions tour, play the majors. And then I'm retired. And who knows, maybe Nick Faldo will retire and I'll hop in the CBS booth with Jimmy Nance. Maybe that's the plan, but he couldn't do that. He couldn't just say I did it for the money. He had to Talk about morality and ethics and growing the game, which is the dumbest answer ever. Whenever anybody says they're growing the game, it's a lie. 
Because you know who's actually growing the game? Rory McIlroy. By playing great golf. By giving great answers. Phil Mickelson is destroying the sport by giving nothing. By not having a great, by not having an opinion, by not sharing anything worthwhile, by not even addressing the topic. I credit Roy McElroy, Justin Thomas, John Rahm to a lesser extent, Kepka, who even said some stuff, for speaking out, for sharing their opinion. Because the only thought now is, oh, if you if you criticize the Live Tour, well, you're a hypocrite because you take the money if you were offered it. These guys were offered the money to go. If they if they weren't, and the the Live instead wanted to ask Pat Perez and Charles Schwartzel and you name it, then they're they're dumber than I already think they are. Okay, you got DJ and Phil and Kevin Na. Good for you. Who cares? But if you didn't, they offered a large sum to John Rom. Bet your last dollar. They offered a, a big sum to Rory McIlroy. They offered a big sum to Justin Thomas because they're the three biggest names in golf. And clearly they said no because they're still playing on the PGA Tour. So these men have a leg to stand on and say, you know what? I didn't take the money. I'm not in this for, for live. I actually want to compete against the best. And when I win on the PGA Tour, when I win a major, I want to beat the best guys to do it. Not beat, you know, Nick, Tom, and Peter who have been who've been playing in their backyard sculling balls into the water for the last 20 years. Go look up the leaderboard at the live tournament. I watch a lot of golf. I have... If I had to look at channels that are most frequently viewed, you know, TSN and Sportsnet will be up there. The golf channel might be second or third. I watch a lot of golf. I like listening to the commentary on it. I find it extremely interesting. I couldn't tell you some of the names on the top of the live leaderboard. They're complete nobodies. You could have told me that they were a plumber and I wouldn't have fought you on it. I could have been Peter last name. I said, oh, yeah, that's Peter from accounting, right? No, no, he's a golfer. No clue. And I I, I know a lot. I know pretty much every name. I'm not trying to sound like a, more of a know-it-all than I am, but I didn't know who these guys were. So to think that John Rahm, Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy were not asked to join the Live Tour is just foolish. I will start to give more credit. I will start to give more credence to players playing on the Live Tour when they finally admit why they're really there. When they finally admit, you know what? I'm playing on the Live because I want the money. Just somebody say it. Somebody say it and I will come on and applaud them on this show. Do it today. I'll applaud. Do it right now while I'm on the air. And I will applaud you for having the balls that your other compadres, that your other you know, co-workers, if you will, didn't have the balls to do. Just say, I wanted the money. Don't be Dustin Johnson, who says, oh, I, I took the, and now I don't got to play golf for the rest of my life. Excuse me? You don't have to play golf for the rest of your life. You got a mountain of money, and your stepfather is Wayne Gretzky. But, in all this anarchy, 
in this Live versus PGA Tour, in this Greg, Greg Norman versus Jay Monahan, it's creating intrigue. This U.S. Open is going to be fascinating because if a Live member wins it, that is terrible news for the PGA Tour. I believe Rory McIlroy is on a mission. He just won in Canada. I believe he wants to win this weekend some badly. You can't expect Phil to win. Phil's not going to win. He's 51 years old. He's not playing good golf. He'd be lucky to make the cut. Can Dustin Johnson go on a run here? DeChambeau is coming off of an injury. He's on the live now. How's he going to play? If a live member can win this major, it'll be a big headline. But also, if you, if you see a tournament where all the live players play horrible, that would be intriguing as well. Dustin Johnson may not make the cut. If he doesn't make the cut, DeChambeau doesn't make the cut. Phil doesn't make the, make the cut. That's interesting too. Because all the top live guys would have missed the cut at their first major since joining this rival promotion, if you will. That wouldn't be good for live. Because if that's growing the sport, so you're growing, what are you, the AHL? You're growing the sport to be inferior? But this, this weekend is going to be fun. Starts Thursday. Recently started a little betting pool with Casey Ward and Seamus Fillmore, my co-host, as always, on Tuesdays. And I believe Seamus has the first pick this week. So, you know, I could see Seamus going with a live guy. Seems like a big live tour guy. He's an accountant. He likes his money. All those accountants, they control the money. You know? So I'll keep you updated on the picks. We usually do it about Wednesday night before the before the uh, tournament starts. And as I see him joining, we do have our pool this week. But, you know, I, I think Seamus could be a live tour guy. I could see him picking a lot of live guys because he's an accountant. He likes his money. He's a lot like, you know, he's probably a lot like Dustin Johnson. He wants to make as much money as he can before he's in the ground. You know, so that's, but maybe we'll, maybe we'll ask him before we move on to other things. As I see him join on, on the, on the, on the zoom here. Shay, um, fair to say, are you a big live tour guy? I think it's too early to tell. I'm not, uh, I'm not going to rule it out just yet though. Looks seems, seems to be like they're having a lot of fun over there. Making a lot of yeah. cash. <laughs> Charles World Trail. He's, he's having a good time. I hope I didn't butcher his name there, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know I'm looking at the names on the on on this upcoming weekend. You know, see see Phil, yeah, see DJ, get to see my boy Sergio Garcia. Yeah. You know, yeah. all uh, all avid members of this community we call uh, the golf family. You know, yeah. So uh, who knows? You know, it could be some cash showing those guys way. Uh, how how embarrassing would that be if a guy from Live dominated this tournament? You know what I mean? Like we don't even think about it, but no, it's 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 so true and. On the other hand, I think if the if all the live guys miss the cut, well, that would the PGA Tour would be doing cartwheels on the 16th green, just seeing all these guys melt. And I, I, it's interesting too because I think Rory McIlroy just wants to go out there and win just to spite everybody on the live yeah. tour. That was quite a comment he made after he won. Yeah. Eh? won more yeah. than um, I read. Is it Greg Darren? Norman? Yeah, yeah, Greg Norman. Yeah, the old, the old Greg. 
That was funny. Yeah, the, I think some of the audio or um, the Saudi Arabia guys might uh, they might hire Buddy from Happy Gilmore to throw in a couple chirps on some of the guys on the PGA. Right, Jackass. Yeah, <laughs> that, that that would be so Saudi because they could definitely afford it, and they probably do worse than heckle. They probably take you know do the the second edition where they like hit them with their car or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah, because violence. They're, yeah, they're they're pro violence, but. I got to ask you, okay. how are you feeling today after, I don't know if you call that a collapse last night or just how are you feeling today after Boston Celtics loss? Not great. Uh, obviously, no one likes to be down 3-2. Um, I, I guess I just disappointed in the effort, I guess. There was just just sloppiness and turnovers and, you know, defense. And there was times where offense just looked, you know, Jalen Brown, God love him. I, I think he's a great player, but if your only move is to drive into the paint and then kick it out and half the time you lose the ball doing it. So, I mean, is it that an effect, is that an effective approach for offense? It just didn't make any much, just doesn't make much sense to me. Um, and I mean, I'm sure we'll probably go into great detail here in a second, but like, yeah, it was tough to watch. Um, just basically swearing at my TV for about two hours straight. Bigger, I guess, how am I going to phrase this? More, more surprising, the fact that the the Celtics had more than double the turnovers to the, the Warriors or the fact that Golden State had 27 more bench points than Boston. I think it's more shocking about the turnovers. The bench has been quiet this a lot of the series for Boston, and that's partially why they lost last night. You can't have, you know, you can't have Golden State's bench scoring thirty and your bench scoring, you know, nearly ten points. That's just not going to cut it. The guys who are coming off there need to produce more, and they need to be more effective. Like it feels like our big guys are the only ones driving offense, and half the time, like you just said, they're turning the ball over anyway. So, mm-hmm. you know, how, how well can they do? I was disappointed in some of their efforts for sure last night, especially uh, uh, Derek White thought he could play better. Yeah. Well, he had one more point than us and uh, that's yeah, t- tough night for him. But I thought uh, last night was an interesting game for Tatum because there's times where I thought he played really well. Then there's I look at him and I'm so frustrated because he's too tentative at times for me. He should just demand the ball more because he was couldn't miss a shot in the third quarter. But then he's like, well, no, take it. And he it's he's almost apprehensive of being the the go-to guy, of being the superstar. And I think if he just takes the the ball last night and just kind of leads the team and says, okay, enough. Like I, I'm this is I'm taking this over. They win the game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he played himself onto the bench in the first quarter with like five minutes left, which, you know, was strange, but obviously he wasn't being effective. And yeah. then he had, you know, a great second and third quarter where he, you, you just said it, he drained everything, everything from beyond the arc was going in and he just couldn't carry that over into the fourth, which, you know, if he does, maybe that we get a different result today. And I agree, like there's times where you just got to say like, Give me the ball. I'm gonna I'm gonna put us on our I'm gonna put the team on my back and we're gonna get there. And you know, Curry does that a lot. He didn't do that last night for them, uh, but he does that a lot in this playoff run, and that's kind of where where they ended up. And that's if you want to be a superstar in that level, then that's what you gotta do. Yeah, and 
for Golden State, you said Curry, 16 points, was he had eight assists, but he was, had a, a porous game by his standards. But Worst game in the finals, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And he, you know, they, they rushed him the whole night. He had two guys on him every time he touched the ball, and that should have worked because you, you stop him. But Andrew Wiggins, Air Canada, mm. uh, you know, the, the man who was never loved by Canadians because he wouldn't play FIBA or go play, go play for the Olympics, was never loved, but – He's been phenomenal in this series. Mm. I don't think he's had a bad game yet, in my opinion. He's he guards, he's score his mid-range game is is great and he grabs boards. I he he was he was he was great again last night. I think he was the most important player for for the Warriors on on both ends. Yeah, last night was by far his best game uh, of the finals. That being said, nice double-double, 26 points and 13 rebounds, but on top of that, he was great defensively. Uh, you know, made a lot of great stops and there were shots he was taking and I was like, okay, that's not going in. That's well defended. And he was making them look easy. Uh, fadeaways on it with her Tatum or white. Uh, yeah, like thoroughly impressed with his game. And like, that's what you need from a guy who maybe normally doesn't put up, you know, ground 30 points. Steph Curry couldn't do it last night. He picked up that slack and, you know, I would have loved to see, you know, one of our guys do the same thing. You know, Jordan Poole's on the bench making buzzer beater shots. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you got to admit, like, that that changed the momentum of the game when he makes that shot and they go into the fourth quarter, right? Absolutely, yeah. Because um, Golden State were on their heels. And they just having a one-point lead can change your psyche a little bit. And by the end of the fourth, I mean, Cornette was playing. I mean, Celtics were, you know, in garbage time playing their reserves of reserves. Mm -hmm. Um, looking, looking ahead here, where if we look back and say the Celtics lose game six and they, they lose in the finals, is it too easy to say they lost this year because they don't have a true point guard on their team? Or is that, is that fair? I don't want to throw it all on the guard because I think there's a lot of aspects that are, are also just disappointing like the bench i didn't think the bench was great for the finals they maybe might have been a spark plug during most of the other series but grant williams has been ice cold for most of his finals you know where was he putting up 20 he's got the dream on hex on him yeah yeah he's got some kind of hex guarding guys last night throwing them around yeah after your comment about him comparing him to Draymond green i can't get that out of my head it's kind of disturbing <laughs> to watch him play now it's pretty pretty tough but um, no, I mean, at the end of the day, Marcus Smart's hurt. You know, you know, he's hurt. Um, is he playing poorly? 100% he is. You know, he can score 20 points, but he didn't defend particularly well last night. And I didn't think, you know, he took some bad shots in the beginning of the game that, you know, maybe mm. he could have made an extra dish off or maybe that was a drive instead because he is strong so he can get to the paint and he can usually finish. Do they need a point guard that's going to get them over the edge? I'm not saying he has to be an elite guy, but they just don't have a ball handler that can like initiate the offense because I looked at so many turnovers last night. Tatum and Brown, at times they're very good, but they Tatum had five turnovers last night. Brown had like five. They they do it too often where they – I mean, they had 18 as a team. I, I just yeah. think you, you need somebody that's just you know safe with the – Golden State had six. And yeah, that's it's huge why they why they lost. 
No, I agree. Taking care of the ball. I think if Smart can't get it together and be more of that ball handling guy, mm-hmm. then yeah, I, I I can I can reason with you that that's a that's a major reason why they're losing these games because they just can't keep they can't keep control of anything on the perimeter and they just throw like Smart was throwing passes into Jalen Brown last night and they were just going right over his head. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you, I, I get it. You see a a size advantage down below. But if you're not going to make an effective pass, don't do it. And he tried it three different times, and I was just like, "This is uh, this is just idiocy. Like, why why are you still doing this?" So, what's your confidence level going into Game Six? Um, I think Boston will win. I, I have a confidence level of seventy five percent that we will win. Wow! Because I think with I think with this team, you know. Odds against our backs, I, I think there is a chance that we'll push this to game seven because we've done it before. We've done it, I think, in worse circumstances, if we're, if I'm being very honest. And I think that if there's any team that could, I think these guys could. But obviously there's going to be major adjustments. Your boy Robert Williams, who you put, he wasn't he wasn't half bad last night. He was probably one of their better players. <laughs> and I was if, I laughed at I'm you not- when you said you put the future on him, but I'm uh I'm not out on him winning finals MVP because the, yeah. who's who's the front runner for the Celtics right now? Like yeah, you? everybody's falling off. Cornet? Me and you, yeah. Garbage time minutes. Maybe Stouskis? Nick Stouskis gets another Canadian on the <laughs> yeah. bench. Great bench guy. Because yeah, I but I feel decent about them too. My only worry is Steph Curry is gonna be hungry to finish this off because I have a hard time believing the, the media won't vote for him for finals MVP if they win, but Wiggins has been really good too. And if mm-hmm. Wiggins has another, as a game six where he's the focal point of why they won, he could sneak in and be the, the finals MVP. And I, I think Steph wants it badly. Yeah. Uh, I, I, for Canadian sake, I don't think a Canadian's ever won the finals MVP. So oh, Anthony Bennett didn't win one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah over in siberia maybe in the, yeah, maybe. In the, in the league that uh, adam sandler went to <laughs> went to scout when he was in hustle maybe that maybe that league he won mvp right yeah uh so yeah you got celtics would you Pushing. take celtics money line uh in the, in the, just to win or just or for the spread you mean spread oh no i think it's gonna be a tight game I think thir- I think Thursday night may be the most stressful game I've ever gonna watch. I'm calling it right now. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And then back in Golden State game. Oh, I hope so, because I have the Celtics on a futures bet to win. So I mean if they lose. What what I would be most frustrated with if you're obviously a Celtic fan is I they're they're a better team than Golden State, top to bottom. And right. they beat Milwaukee, who had a better player than they had. You know, Giannis is better than any Celtic. Curry might be better than any uh, than any Celtic, but good teams are beating better players in the NBA now. It's not like old where Jordan beat Utah, where I think Utah is just as good of a team or better. Uh, and you, you look back, um, the Mavericks might have had a better team just fundamentally uh, than than um, Miami. than the Heat. But you look back yeah. in time, normally the best player wins a series. I think now it's changing where you can have a better team that will beat the best player in a particular series. Yeah. Yeah. Like Brooklyn and Boston round one. Right. Exactly. Better players yeah. They beat, they beat two teams like that. Yeah. 
I agree. What I, and one thing I had in my notes, and we, because we're still talking ball, what's a, a recent or maybe in, even in the past guard matchup um, in the NBA Finals that you've particularly enjoyed watching, or maybe just sparked interest in you? A lot of people will probably say Kyrie and Steph for because right. they faced off so many times. Couple, but couple years, yeah, those were good. Um, yeah, Steph was in so many damn finals. Um, <laughs> he, 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 he went up against Lowry in 19, yeah, too. That's right. If I go back, Tony Parker was, Parker was kind of old. Him against Chalmers wasn't, wasn't exactly uh, thrilling. Um, maybe I'll go two guards. Ray Allen and Manu. Okay. Two older guys. Both were making clutch shots in, the, in that, in particular, the 2013 finals where they were make, both making big threes both had a big impact on them winning and ray allen was a big reason why they won but th- that's a two-guard matchup that comes to mind i'm trying to think even farther back yeah uh, I, I thought i always thought this would be good to see and i only not only only faced off once but to see jordan try to get matched up or locked up by gary payton would have been interesting to see back in the yes in the 90s because they right. matched off at least once that that would have been fun because he was such a good defender and yeah. his son had held a game last night. He did. Uh, Probably the game of his career, if we're being honest. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's a journeyman, too. I give credit Five, to him. Yeah. He's, he's bounced around. He's 29. I thought he was way younger than that. But he's a <laughs> he's a seasoned vet. He's just been yeah. on G League and D League and, you know, Matthew Della Dova teams. Um, yeah. I'm, trying, I'm trying to think again in the early 2000s. Yeah. I mean, Rondo – the problem with these point guards is they're not like, like Rondo's a good player. He might go in the hall of fame. I don't think he's a hall of famer, but he's a good player where if he's going up against Kobe, you're like, wow, or like Rondo and Derek Fisher, that's not exactly a sex appeal. Yeah, No, I agree with that one. Yeah. That's, that's, it's not great. Um, Trying to think of one here, I guess. Kobe and AI. Yeah. That'd be a great one. Yeah. One there. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was yeah, because they were both in their prime then, and absolutely AI. The fact that they won one game in that series, I looked up the because I was listening to a podcast recently, and I looked up that 0-1 Sixers roster, and it is I can't believe he won a game. I think he scored fifty in game one, and they won. But he was playing with like me, you, and Wardo in that series. He was with nobody. Yeah, he was LeBron before LeBron. Right. Yes. Getting, exactly. getting to the finals with nobody like that yeah. was that was ridiculous. In a good Eastern Conference too. Yeah, no, I mean NBA. We got a few days left. It's either Thursday or Sunday, and if you can believe it, the draft is a week from Thursday. So there's no, like, it's just the these GMs got to like basically, if whoever wins this series, Boston or Golden State, celebrate, have your little victory parade, and then you got the draft the Thursday night. So there's no yeah. no rest for the wicked for the NBA. Yeah. Is that is that a content thing where they just keep the keep it rolling, or do you think it just managed to get that way? I think it's for content, um, but it's also strange because they have the the draft, which next Thursday, which is like the twenty fourth or something. I'm wrong with the date, but and then and then the free agency only starts August like sixth or August seventh. It's late, so it's a, it's a big. Yeah, there's summer league in there and, and things like that, but yeah, summer league uh, is right around the corner. I, I saw the thing and I couldn't believe it. It's July, I think, like mid yeah, early July. Yeah, right after uh, Canada Day. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, and I, I, I'm hoping that I I have faith in the Celtics to a degree, 
but I don't feel as confident as I thought I was, I was certain they're going to win last night. Yeah. And they, they just come out with such a pathetic effort. Like I, I was just distraught by how out of the gate, how they played. Yeah. It was a bad, bad first half. 39 yeah. points was not, was not what we're looking for. Let's go to, and I sent yesterday, I thought we could do the wish list. And I thought this would be a fun exercise where we could go through each Canadian NHL team and look at each team and kind of pinpoint what the number one thing that the GM, the front office people have to figure out this summer in order for the team to improve, whether you're going through a rebuild, every team's going to be different. But I thought we could go through this and I thought it'd be a fun exercise and start to think about free agency and whatnot. So I'll let you pick. What team do you want to start with? Most people listening would probably say Toronto, but I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll delegate that one for a little later. You want to start with Winnipeg? Okay, I like it. Yeah, yeah I'll start the bottom of my list. For me, what Winnipeg needs to do is find an identity and find mm. out what is going wrong in this locker room because clearly they're, you know, Shifley's comments and other guys' comments afterwards, there's clearly something wrong. And you got to weed out some apples, basically, some bad apples that are kind of turning the room inside out. You know, you got your coach leaving and guys are frustrated. I, I, we talked about this and maybe last week, but Shifley more than likely looks like he's going to probably leave. I don't think he's happy with the, the team he has. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it's Dubois, maybe it's Ehlers, I'm not sure who it is, but clearly somebody's got to, somebody's got to go. And uh, if it is Shifley, that's going to be disappointing for them, but maybe the best, maybe it's for the best. Yeah. I have something very similar. I have, be in or out on competing. This team is kind of, they're, they're always, well, are we going to do anything at the deadline? They never do. And well, we got our core and you never improve on it. It, it. My thought is figure out who you are. Are you a team that's contending for a title or are you a team that's going to go through a rebuild? Because I think they could go either way. You talked about Shifley that he could be traded. I don't disagree with that, that it just seems sour there. To me, Blake Wheeler, it's it's going to be hard to move that contract. Mm. But he's another guy where I think his leadership has worn thin. I don't think he's given great thoughts to the to the leadership core, the GMs, and I don't I wouldn't want him back. He's not a great player anymore. But also, you got a guy who's not that great anymore, and he's a malcontent. That's not a good thing. So, is Dubois is Ehlers your your core moving forward that can lead you to the promised land, or do you have to make moves in order to rebuild to get better? You got Hellebuck. So you, you can always say, well, we can be competitive, but I, I, I want to see Winnipeg make a decision. Are mm-hmm. you be in or be out on competing? Being in the middle on anything in life is a bad place to be. Yeah. And I mean, they got picks too. So if they decide that mm-hmm. they're out, then you can probably rebuild pretty quickly with the, with the guys you have in there. Right. And you know, if they trade Shifley, that's a, that's a big move because you're, you're, your, your number one center is gone and I'll, you, yep. know, you have, you have Dubois and you could try to add to it, but it's, it's tough position because Kyle Connor is still an elite player. Yes. I, I think Ehlers is a very good Morrissey is a solid player. So you got good pieces, but if Shifley, if it's not repairable, I find it hard to believe you're going to be a cup contender when you trade shut. You're not getting a haul back from Mark Shifley that can, I believe contend for a title next year. Yeah, I agree with that fully. 
So yeah, Winnipeg's interesting, but they all, Sheville Dayoff's been there forever, and um, Maurice just left, so he's he's got to figure it out because he's definitely on the clock here in Winnipeg because they haven't Conti had the success sure. that, that I think they they should have because they've been to me they've been the most interesting, the best team in Canada going into last season, but they just didn't put it together. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Just find out why you are and go be it. Who do you got next? We'll go up one. I got the Canucks, the next okay. on my list. Um, for me, the Canucks got to fix their PK. And mm. how they're going to do this, I have no idea, but they were last this year in penalty kill, which is pretty disgusting. Um, I think this the solution for me is getting Tyler Myers out of there. He's played three seasons there. He's been okay. He's not been $6 million okay. I think you got to find him a new home. And maybe that's a package deal with Garland. I know management hasn't been happy with him. Coaches didn't like him where he was at. He wants to play in top six, but, you know, at times he looks like a bottom six forward. That's, you know, that getting him a new home may be the best thing for it. Fixes fixes something and maybe you get mm-hmm. something in return for two guys like that. Yeah, I you know, Garland's interesting because he was such a pain in the ass in junior. And maybe that's starting to fester now in the NHL. He gets his money and now – he, you know, they signed him to that long-term extension, and it's right. already gone sour years. after after one season. So that's not a good that's not a good start. I agree with the PK. My other thought is back end help. I love Luke Shen. I know you do as well. Former Maple Leaf top pick. He's a good good Ontario boy. He's from Saskatchewan, I think. Good Saskatchewan boy. Hard worker. Stanley Cup champion. We love him. Tyler Myers. Didn't understand the signing in the first place. I've never loved Tyler Myers as a defenseman. I don't think he's that great of an NHL player. He's not great offensively. He doesn't defend that well. I don't know what he does. He's kind of a non-unicorn. He's just 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 very big. Very big. But help the back end so that Thatcher Demko doesn't have to have a 967 save percentage in order to make the playoffs. You have one of the best goalies in the league. It's such a luxury to have. And he's on a good contract. Hopefully, Pedersen can start the season in October and not mid-January. That would help. Yet, you look at this team. If you can get some good help on the back end, maybe you make a splash. I is John Klingberg is out there. That would take a lot of money. But you you got to look. You got to be creative with with your defense core. Maybe there's trades. Winnipeg, if they tear it down, could you get Nate Schmidt back on your team? Could you make a move for a Nate Schmidt? He's he fit in well in Vancouver. I like him as a player. He's a good defender. So I, I look at their back end, which will help their goaltending and also the your aforementioned uh, penalty kill. Not that it's um, probably high on either of our lists, but Brock Besser's a, a restricted free agent. What is uh, what's the thought process with him? I've seen people say they might not come back. What do you what do you think? I bring him back for the right number. What that I don't think I'd pay him more than five million bucks, and okay. that's probably my cap. Maybe if you get him at four and a half, that'd be great. He is a good goal scorer, but he is very inconsistent. He's got some. Him and Pedersen can be bad for one another because Pedersen at times can be such a good defensive forward. He can back check. He steals pucks. He could be a sulky winner, you know, in his career. But Besser is lazy. And I think that can wear on some of his teammates where he skips on effort and maybe that kind of lingers to them. So I'd bring him back, but for the right number. What say you? I feel the same. I, I'd probably give him I, maybe a little bit more leanway. I'd probably give him more money. 
um, if he wanted to be competitive, because I think he could be a big part of this team. But like you said, if he's going to be asking, if he's asking anywhere, say towards seven or seven and a half million, I think you got to think about other options and maybe, maybe doing what they did with Kevin Hayes uh, years ago and just training him off and getting like a third or fourth round pick for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't sign him to a long term. It'd be short term because I don't want to get like a mountain on your, on your books as well. Who's up next? I have the Flames, your Calgary Flames. Our, my Calgary Flames. The, the, uh, the yeah, the most obvious here is re-signing uh, Matthew Kachuk. I mean, that's that's far far and foremost the, the most important thing. Just coming off his nice little Bridger deal that paid him three years, seven million. Yeah. Yep. Um, Johnny Hockey's just not coming back. I think they've they, the fans probably have accepted it unless it's coming back for a really really friendly deal. Mm -hmm. I just can't see it. And uh, yeah, you need you need some leadership. You need a guy who just scored a hundred points. And you know, a lot of people are just gonna say, "Well, he was riding on Lindholm and Gertro Cadro's uh, back," but that's not the total case. I think uh, I think uh, Kachuk had a lot to do with that, and he'd be very very high up on my list of things. Probably number one uh, if, out of any Canadian team if they had to make a move. Yeah, I would bring Gaudreau back on a fair contract like you said, and what's a fair contract. Yeah, I, have, I have a number, I have a number and I want to see if it's close to your number. Okay. Nine, 10. I have nine over eight years. Yeah. I, I do nine over eight because you, you have eight years of it. Yeah. I would do that. I don't think he'll sign that, but I do it. <laughs> I, I think he'll want 10, 11. If I'm Calgary, I'm not signing him eight years at 11 million bucks. I'm just not. I he's too inconsistent, and I, I agree. With, I'd rather have I'd rather have Kachuk on an eight-year deal at 11 million bucks than Johnny Gaudreau, because uh, I think Kachuk's gonna want a lot of money as well because he's a Kachuk. But getting Kachuk back, and also think you know, getting some bottom six help against Edmonton. Yarncroft couldn't score a goal. Dubé couldn't score a goal. Lucic has never been able to score goals since 2011. So getting some bottom six production, some forwards that can really help your team. Maybe they take a sniff on your boy Ilya Mikheyev and they overpay for him. I could see that being something that Calgary does. Just something to add to their bottom of their lineup to get some goal scoring. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Manji Apani is another one. He's an RFA. If you can get him at the right deal, obviously 35 goals never, never mm -hmm. hurt anybody. So. Yeah, if he, not if bad he, to if, have in a contract here. Yeah, nice, nice Toronto kid. Fuck. Maybe he'll come home. Who knows? Um, Make an 800k. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe a little Neilander for Manji Pony deal. Oh knows. Jesus! Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that thing. And you know they do have the room, but like I put down number one D man. Obviously, that's not easy, especially with with the cap room and what contract is going to leave you. Maybe only pennies. Um, right. But like I'm just not confident that um, Rasmus Sanderson's a number one. I think he's probably mm -hmm. a really, really close number two. But I just don't think he'd have it to lead to the promised land. Kind of saw that a little bit in the playoffs this year. Yep, totally agree. He's very good, but he's not not elite. Who's up next for you? I have uh, the other Alberta team, the Edmonton Oilers. Do you just um, hate the West or what? Uh, well, I went, I went, I went west to east. Oh, okay, thing, so, I was gonna say, yeah. what is this? I hate no. you. Yeah. For the West. 
Just want to get closer and closer to us every, every okay, step here. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah, no, so Edmonton, obviously, the big one here is a, a goaltender um, that's been missing in the playoffs, and, um, amongst other things. But, yeah, a goaltender is number one, and, you know, if you want to scoot number two in there is depth. Um, yeah. You know, they need – they only have eight forwards signed, and some of those forwards probably are going to get let go. You need to rebuild your bottom six with guys who are going to be effective and – you know, are different. Um, there's there's a lot of guys who just kind of do the same thing in Edmonton besides Cassie and he's a little out there. But uh, other guys are, you know, other guys, you need different things from them. And uh, I just find there's too many cookie cutters in their top, in their bottom six, sorry. Yeah, netminder's the easy one. Uh, all in, whoever you, whoever you can get. I'd make calls on Gibson. He said today he didn't request a trade. Doesn't mean he won't get traded because he doesn't have a no trade. Who gives a crap? He doesn't want to get traded. Doesn't mean anything. Trade for him. It is in division, but make the right offer. You can make it happen. Vili Huso, I'd I'd have him. Mark Andre Fleury, I not my number one choice, but hey, he's better than Mike Smith. Although you'd have a thirty-seven year old and a forty-one year old goaltender. Yikes! Uh, it's basically like AARP to the umpteenth level. But make calls on Sergei Bobrovsky. Maybe they eat some salary. It, it, just ask anyone what what their goaltending situation is, yeah, because they, yours they, sucks, and you have a yeah. good team. You could go and and uh, and win if you have the right goalie. Uh, and Edmonton, just don't leave any stone unturned. Is basically my my thought on that. You said it best last week. You could, like if you're Ken Holland, you can't look Drysaddle and McDavid in the eyes if you come back and say, "Oh yeah, Mike Smith's going to be our going to be our guy again this year." Like that'd be just embarrassing. One guy, obviously close to my heart, Campbell. Is it? Is he? Is he even a valid option on this team if he signs Terry Price? You might say, "Hey, I like the cold. I like McDavid. I'll sign here for three million dollars for a billion years." Yeah, I. It, it would be a last resort. I'll say that. <laughs> um, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't think he's good enough to win a Stanley Cup. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. But he's better than Mike Smith, so it would be an, it would be an upgrade. But the two goalies, I would not. I, one guy I would not call on is Freddie Anderson because he's worse than Mike Smith because he's not even eligible to play. So that's the one guy I would not call on if I'm the Edmonton Oilers. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Also, uh, secondary buyout Zach Cassian. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah, he's got he's, two years left at three and a half. Buy him out. Yeah, that 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 uh, that deal is definitely worth it. I I fully agree with that one. He's he's been a lot. He's probably a really good teammate. I can feel that in the lock, mm-hmm. in his locker room. But that doesn't mean that you should keep your job, especially for that cap. You can free up some money and get your team better. So yeah, yeah. buy out Zach Cassian. Yeah, they need better penalty killers. Um, finally, Eastern Conference team here, uh, Montreal. Um, Montreal is interesting because they don't have a ton of room to sign guys because. Nope. Because Suzuki, Suzuki just signed, and you know we'll probably see Shane Wright this year. So things are looking relatively good for Montreal. I'm not gonna lie; they have 14 picks uh, in this draft, so they're they can basically just shoot in a barrel, and they're gonna hit a guy or two. Um, but I had Romanov and uh, trying to figure out a contract uh, extension with him. He's up, you know. Is is he a number one demon? No. Is he going to be? Probably not. But I think he can be an important top four uh, defenseman on their team. So I think they need to find a way to make that work somehow. Yeah, that's a good one. And I also just draft well. I it 
they've been a bad <laughs> Cockney was not a great pick. Caden Gooley mm-hmm. looks like a good pick. But you can say they got 14 picks in this draft and they got the first one. It's vital that you this is a good pick. Shane Wright seems like the guy they're gonna pick. I wouldn't pick Shane Wright. But pick? I pick Slavowski. You're out Slavowski from Slovakia. I think he's got more upside. It's the riskier pick, but he's also got the more. This is like the NFL draft where uh, Kayvon Walker was taken first overall by the Jacksonville Jaguars. He is the more unknown prospect. He might be better. Where Aiden Hutchinson was sitting there at two, He's you know what he is. He was great in college. Shane Wright is a number one center. He's like Suzuki. He doesn't have a great offensive game, but he could be a Patrice Bergeron-like player. Slav Hosky could be a guy that turns into a game changer. So Montreal, with that pick, make the right decision. But like you said, they got 14 picks. Make some good picks and also trade some of those picks for players. Make yeah. some moves where you flip picks to teams that want to move up so that you can get better players on your roster. You can use those to your advantage, and that's something I think Montreal should look to do uh, in the draft in a couple weeks. Yeah, no, absolutely. Maybe some seasoned veterans in the in the bottom six, too. Yep. Maybe a lot of young guys. Yeah, they're, they're extremely young. Their top players are all young. So have, having a stable – third line center that's been around the block a few times, you know, Corey Perry, I think was great for these young guys, having a guy like, like him or even a better version of Corey Perry at this point of their career would be really important for, for uh, Montreal, like Joe Pavelski has been in Dallas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to uh, one of your favorite teams, the Ottawa senators. Ooh, um, I got, I got my, some, my... I got some text yesterday. Like apparently it was too hard on the senators yesterday. <laughs> You were heard on a couple people yesterday. I listened, yeah, I listened for a little bit. Um, but no, uh, Ottawa Senators, obviously for me, the biggest thing um, is locking in Norris. Uh, guy scored 35 goals three last year. I mean, he's – I would say he's a proven number one center, but he looks like he can be that guy. Um, mm-hmm. I still think he needs strides. There's a lot of things about his game that I don't like, but – there's also some upside to him too. And I think that him and Kachuk have a really, really good connection with each other. So keeping that aligned is probably uh, in the best interest for them. I have a number for him. Do, do you have a, do you have a number, different number one um, thing for, for Ottawa? Trade Matt Murray. Oh yeah. I don't think uh, I, I, I was doing that as impossible. So that's why I had a hard time. Well, sure. apparently your Leafs are kicking tires on Matt Murray. So maybe that's the landing spot. I won't uh, be a Leafs but, fan very much longer if that's yeah. the case. <laughs> I, if Pierre Dorian can trade Matt Murray, even if they eat half of it, he should be given a contract extension on the spot because this guy is, if they could get rid of him, I, I, I agree about Norris. If there's an opportunity Get another great center on your team. Try to do that. Develop Stutzla. They got a good young team, but they're not going to win anything without a goaltender. Anton Forsberg is a backup bridge guy. They need a number one goalie. They've drafted them. They haven't hit. So that's my thing with, with Ottawa. Is just where your team can be great, but if you don't have a goalie, you're not going to make the playoffs. You're going to be two years away from being two years away forever. And I don't want to be a hater on them forever, but I'm going to have to be – the truth teller when they're garbage. And I, I, I just, they, they are a good team. I love Batherson. Shabbat's a great player. 
They could use some help in the back end too, because it's a little inexperienced and it, and it's, it leaks oil at times, but also goaltending is not great. And you need to find a solution for, if you want to even pretend to be competitive, you need a goaltender. Yeah, no, fully agree with that too. I just didn't know if you know, they want to try Murray again, maybe for a third year, see how that goes. Um, but I have it in my books too, uh, picking up a superstar like player. I, I mean, obviously they have to start doing something and they have to start making progress. Being at the bottom for this long is just kind of embarrassing at this point. Sorry, Dawson. Um, but you have a ton of prospects. I mean, this this team is filled with guys who mm-hmm. have a lot of potential. So maybe trading one of those guys, maybe suiting with a pick and grabbing a, a number. What about Shifley? Why not? That'd be mm-hmm. a great pick. He comes in at a great cap. He's a leader, obviously, and I think he'd push those young guys to play hard because he does every single night. Right. I, I agree. No, he'd help Norris a lot. He'd help these guys. He'd come in and instant respect from the locker room, and I think Winnipeg, that would kind of say you know, they could get a good haul in return. they get some oh, good yeah. players and good prospects. So – that's a trade I try to make before the draft because then you could use your draft picks to throw in as well. Winnipeg gets more picks. They already got two picks in the first round uh, with with New York's. They could have three, and then they could make moves from there. So that could be an interesting angle for both teams if they could make a deal like that happen pre-draft. Yeah, I think keeping Kachuk there would probably be a big concern. Everyone's saying he's going to Calgary now that he went out in there and supported his brother. And He's under contract. <laughs> he's not going anywhere. Yeah, I know. Just fudge around. I like to have a little fun. So let's go to the, the blue and white here, my favorite team, okay. Toronto. Um, I mean, it's, it's clear it's clear, clear what they need here. They need to get a goaltender, uh, a half-decent one at that, if they ever want to see a number two Second round. round. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I have I have my book signed Campbell, but I I think that grows a little weird on me. The more I think about it, the, the less I like it. But uh, I said it before, trading William Nylander for John Gibson seems like a, a viable option. Of course, you you make a hole there on your right side, but mm-hmm. uh, you'd be able to fill that somehow, whether it's signing McKayette like, for a low contract if you take it or trying to go out and grab someone. I don't know. Maybe uh, you couldn't afford him. Um, maybe an Andrew Cobb. Love Andrew Cobb. I he'd be he'd be top of my list for Toronto. He's a great. He can play center. He can play wing. I hate that he's got a tin advisor, but that's the only thing I hate about him. I love the way he plays the game. And yeah, mine was I put in air quotes stable goaltender because they've had they love to bring in goaltenders that just get hurt in an opportune times or can't play or. Uh, check themselves out of games. I, I just have a guy that's just you trust. And Huso is a better option than Campbell. If you ask me, I'd rather have Billy Huso. I think he's a better goaltender. I'm not saying he's a number one yet, but I think he has the potential to be. And this Toronto team is not like they were even three, four years ago where defensively they were out to lunch. They're much better than they used to be. They will lock it down when they have to. And having a great goalie, having a good goalie with – um, what this team gives them a, a good chance of having success. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Yeah, there was times in the playoffs and in that first round, I just shook my head because I was like, what's the... And- so as a Leaf fan and seeing Tampa back in the final, if Tampa wins, does that give you solace because your team lost to the eventual champion or is that a loser's race? 
I no, I don't think like that. Like, yeah, anything can happen. Any, we could have lost to Florida. We could have got dusted by New York. You know what I mean? Like, doesn't mean we would have been right there. So, means means we played a really good team though, which I I you know that's that's fine. But doesn't mean we would have been standing right toe in toe with Colorado either. Right. Where are you leaning in the Stanley Cup final? Who as you as we sit here today, the game one tomorrow night. Who, Where's your head going? Who do you feel is going to raise the cup this season? Uh, I think it's going to be super tight, but I think Colorado is – I think Colorado is going to take it. And okay. I think they are because Kale McCarr is going to is gonna push through. And not not for any other reason, not any other player, I think Kale McCarr will take – he will steal easily steal a game or two for Colorado, I think. So he's going to win the Smite? Probably. Yeah. yeah, I think if they win, he's going he's to be the best. And I think that Makar Hedman toe-to-toe is so fascinating because yeah. you arguably have the two the best defensemen in the world. They're going up against each other. Hedman's kind of had that mantle for a long time. And if Makar can beat him head-to-head, it's hard to argue that he hasn't passed him because it's this is how you define stuff in sports. You go you go, you know, toe-to-toe with one another. It's like It's like combat sports. You fight a guy – you think you're better than him? Well, if you don't beat him inside the cage, you don't beat him in the boxing ring. You're not because he defeated you. So I look forward to that. I even think uh, McKinnon slash Kucherov battle will be interesting because they're both hotheads. Kucherov doesn't <laughs> yes, mind throwing a cross check. McKinnon has a bad temper. So that could is another interesting superstar angle to watch uh, in this series. Yeah. Are you going to wait for tomorrow to, to reveal your pick or are you – no, I'll do it right now. I okay. um, I'll talk about it more tomorrow as to why, but I got Tampa three-peating six games. Wow, six games too. Okay, I'll take Colorado in six. That's okay. My pick. I just uh, yeah, I uh, I'll talk about it more tomorrow. But I Tampa just I, the goaltending for me it pushes it over the edge. Yeah, uh, that's fair. That was a. That was a hell of the last four games for Vasilevsky. I mean, I mean, we all watched it. He did. He did exactly what he was supposed to do and shut the door. Um, and kudos to the Tampa Bay defense too. They just mm-hmm. completely outplayed New York's. And I don't think it's a, a dive at New York, but I think New York's defense is still really young, and I think they still have a lot to grow on. Um, and but I, I think they, I think they will be there one day. I just don't think that uh, they had it in them. And, and you know, and not saying that Igor made a lot of great saves, especially in Game Six. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that, that was that was Tampa's game, and Igor kept them in it the entire time, kept them a one-one, and then um, obviously Stammer shut that down pretty quickly. Get some breaking news here: Toronto Blue Jays left-handed pitcher Hyunjin Ryu will undergo elbow surgery and miss the remainder of the season. General Manager Ross Atkins announced on Tuesday, so Ryu mm-hmm. is done for the season. And uh, Ross Tripling's been filling in very well for, for Ryu and in his place, but this opens up a spot for the Toronto Blue Jays uh, pitching rotation that I'm sure they'll look to address at the at the trade deadline. Yeah, yeah, they'll need to – if they're serious about contending, they'll need to get somebody because if they, they leave that hole weeping, then, they, it, I mean, it, it's clear that they don't care. Not that Ryu had a great beginning to the year anyways. Yeah, this isn't a big loss for me. Uh, he's been pretty awful since he came to Toronto and yes, it's a big cap number, but there's no salary cap in baseball. So they yeah. can make some moves at the trade deadline. It's not like you losing Alec Manoa, who you could argue is the front runner for the American league Cy Young right now. Cause he's been pitching Agreed. so well, 
But yeah, Ryu is he's, he's a loss, but also it's not going to crush the. This isn't going to cost the Blue Jays a World Series. Uh, Ryu going down. No, no, I, I fully agree with that too. So Tuesday now, I know we're looking ahead, but uh, any big plans this coming weekend? Anything on? The, did you end up getting to watch Top Gun 1980s version? No, no, I haven't watched. Uh, it's actually, yeah, the eighties. No, I haven't watched that one. But uh, it's on my my docket for this weekend. Is I'm going to watch that movie. If I watch any movie, I usually pick one a weekend, and that's I think that's the one I'm going to go with. So that way, I'll be able to do that, and hopefully, maybe next Tuesday, I'll be able to slip into a theater somewhere and uh, catch the the groundbreaking movie. Um, and, and yeah, Miles Teller shirtless for for a lot of it, uh, according to according to fans. Is that that's what's getting rave reviews? His uh, his chest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His chest is actually winning an Oscar this year. No, nothing else. Chest and mustache combination. I heard it's pretty easy to win one because Tom Cruise might win it. <laughs> you never know. You never know. We should start acting now. Maybe we'll be there someday. Yeah, I mean, might as well. I I could I could start a role. Um, I did read today that Joker Two is a go. Oh, it's green light. Lady Gaga might play Harley Quinn in the, in the upcoming Ooh. film. How do we feel about that? I know you've you've questioned her, questioned her on The Star Is Born. So, yeah, I, I questioned that whole film and why it had to be made. But uh, I'm intrigued. I'll say that because her, you know more about this Harley Quinn. More uh, Margaret Robbie plays Harley Quinn, right? Another crap. Uh, so. Is, is that like a singing role for Margaret Robbie, or is that what what kind of character is a Harley Quinn? Mm, not really. It's it could be a singing role though, because she's kind of crazy and she's kind of out there. Um, so but, she you know, the is Joker, she like the Joker's helper? Yeah, she's like his mess. She's she's yeah. Oh, she's okay. basically his, his, his okay. wifey. So, okay. Yeah, it, it could be interesting. That pairing makes sense. <laughs> yeah yeah and she like i guess she's just as crazy or crazier than him so you think about um you know walk's character in that movie like you gotta find someone who's even more out to lunch than that he was there so interesting okay just selling it on me more but i i i'm just excited for joker 2 that is a go and the script has been written so i'm excited for that and i haven't been back to a theater since the since the pandemic and I think um, my movie. I'm saying this. I'm going to go. I'm going to go see the uh, the Elvis movie. I'm excited oh, okay. for that one. Yeah, that's yeah. the one I'm going back to the theater for. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it. Is there any particular reason, or? Uh, the guy who's playing Elvis looks exactly like him, and yeah. I applaud that because I think that's a huge part of making a movie about somebody. Tom Hanks plays his manager, and his manager is a real dick in real life. So I want to see how they how he does in that role. I'm sure he'll be great. It's Tom Hanks, but I know I, I'm starting to read up more and more about Elvis. He's an interesting cat. There's a documentary I'm going to watch before the movie. So I just, I want, I, I want to see how they do with it. These movies about people interest me. They go, they're hit or miss. I thought the uh, Elton John one was a pretty horrible film. Uh, but then I thought Bohemian Rhapsody was, was a fantastic movie. So, you know, they're, they're interesting because yeah, they can go either way. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Yeah, that there, that there's definitely a demand for that movie now as making a re recurrent 
recreating these, uh, you know, these famous singers or even, you know, even if not singers, you know, directors, actors. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it seems to be in high demand now. It seems like every year there's one or two that kind of come out. So I'm very intrigued too. I think this would be a really good movie. No, well, good stuff today, man. I always appreciate the time and uh, enjoy. Uh, if you get to the movie this weekend, enjoy it and enjoy a good luck Thursday night. Try to stay calm. Yeah, for all you listeners out there, maybe a good luck text or uh, what, okay. put out your Celtics jerseys on your on, on, on your front porches because uh, we need all the we need all the support we can get. Well, best of luck, and we'll talk next week. Thanks, Lottie. See you next week. Thanks to Shavis Fillmore. Always fun to chat with him on a Tuesday. And yeah, Halleck Manoa uh, pitched great last night for the Jays. Hinjin Ryu is done for the season. We'll get into more baseball tomorrow. I do want to talk about the White Sox big win. NL Central battle for top spot between the Cardinals and the the Brewers. So we'll get into that. We'll preview the Stanley Cup final a little more tomorrow as well. So, but fun show today. Lots to talk about. And we'll be back here tomorrow. Same time, same place. To the point.